Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Welcome, everybody. Today I'm speaking with Daryl Bateman. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, Daryl. It's, uh, it's great to have you on board. Um, so let me just do a quick uh, you know, uh, introduction, and then you can jump right in and in properly introduce yourself. So I see that you've spent quite some time in Texas Tech University, uh, held in, like holding a, a variety of positions. Uh, I believe the last one was Assistant VP and Information Security Officer. Uh, and that was before you moved to your current role at a company called Citibank, not to be confused with Citibank, uh, you know, that's spelled with an I, this one is spelled with a Y. Uh, and right now, if I'm, reading my research notes correctly, you're the Chief Information Security Officer at Citibank. I uh, welcome you to, uh, you know, introduce yourself and maybe tell about, uh, tell a bit about yourself and the company. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, like you said, I'm the uh, Chief Information Security Officer here at Citibank. Uh, Citibank is a, uh, I guess we'd call it a regional uh, bank. We're about 3 billion in, in uh, asset size, so that, that puts us in the uh, range of um, you know, medium sized to approaching toward large size banks, based mostly out of Texas, uh, a little bit in New Mexico. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a great organization, and uh, we actually know how to spell the the, the, the word city. <laughs> yeah, I always wondered if, if that was the you know the original intent of the founders, although I'm pretty sure they knew how to spell. Uh, but I was referring to the other city, obviously. Uh, okay, so and you've been in the you've been in this position for the past six years. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, great. Um, so yeah, you know, and as an icebreaker, I always like to ask a couple of personal questions. Feel free to answer whatever you know makes you comfortable. Uh, if you can share a bit about your marital status and maybe about your favorite drink. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm married, uh, let's see, about 18 years now. Um, I waited quite a while before I got married, and um, uh, but I th the wait was worth it. Um, have uh, three kids. Uh, one of them just went off to college, so my wife and I are kind of experiencing that emptiness syndrome a little bit, um, although she's not very far away. Uh, but uh, my favorite drink would probably be a, uh, a nice glass of uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. Big, big wine guy, almost probably put me in the category of wine snob, actually. Oh, okay. So what do you feel about uh, the wines that they produce here in California? I mean, being from Texas, is there like a, some kind of a, a hidden competition or anything like that? Uh, well, if there's competition, we're way behind in Texas. Um, uh, definitely think Texas is coming along uh, in that regard, but California is um, got about a 50-year head start on us um, and don't know that we'll ever catch up, uh, but we're, we're still making some really good wines. And uh, so I like California wines really well, and, but I support what we're doing here in Texas as well. Yeah, the, the the wines in California are great, but I have to say, you know, I, I last week, no, a week and a half ago, I was in uh, in Dallas, Fort Worth, for just a couple mm -hmm. of days, and you know, I was hosted by a group of uh, of business colleagues, and they were drinking very fine wines. I mean, they were like spending a lot of money on those bottles, and uh, you know, some of them were imported from Italy, others from California, probably some from Texas. Uh, you know, I'm not uh, that big of a wine connoisseur, meaning, I mean, I enjoy 
wine. I just, I can't, I'm not a wine snob because I can't tell the difference between, you know, between most brands. I, I just know if I like it or not. Basically, I'm, I'm an infant in that uh, regard. If you talk to me about single malt, if you talk to me about single malt whiskey, this is an area where I, I know a bit more about. Okay. You're have to sit down and talk about that sometime. Yeah, yeah, maybe in my on my next trip to Texas, probably in a few weeks. But yeah, uh, you know, and and I think as I mentioned in our preliminary call, the the intent of this podcast is, is to try and keep this light and learn more about you and your journey. It's not going to be too technical. I'm not going. I'm not too interested in your, you know, in learning about your company. I'm more interested in learning about you and your. Uh, and your path, you know, from, from the beginning and until you, you became a CISO. So let's get started. Uh, I mean, if there's one thing you wish you'd known when you begin your career, what would that be? I'd have to say it's um, that you don't have to be the smartest person or the most charismatic person um, or even the most ambitious, ambitious person to, to succeed. Um, I kind of looked up to a lot of people that had those qualities when I was uh, early in my career and I thought, man, I, I don't know if I could ever be, you know, that person standing up in front of the, uh, the whole organization and giving, giving a speech about, um, where we're going and, and being the raw, raw leader and all of that. Um, but as the years progressed, I realized that, you know, those people are probably were never really that much smarter than me. They, they just had some motivation. Certainly there were people smarter than me and there still are lots of people smarter than me, but um, you don't have to be this brilliant person, uh, but you do need to pay attention to details and you do, you do need to recognize when, hey, I don't, I don't know if I have all the answers. I need to get some experts uh, involved in this. And so that, that takes a little bit of, um, you know, setting your, your pride aside, uh, you know, especially in this field. When you're the CISO in an organization, uh, if, if anything ever comes up in an executive meeting about security, they're going to turn their heads to you and say, well, what's, what's the answer, Daryl? And, and um, most of the time, you're probably going to know, um, but you don't, you don't want to assume that, hey, I've got all the answers because it's a complicated field. There's a, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of changes going on all the time. So... Yeah, I think early on, uh, I was a little bit intimidated by the, the prospect of, you know, becoming this leader and this person that other people look up to. And but suddenly I'm there now. And so, yeah, just just realizing, um, you know, use use the resources that you have available. Uh, don't assume that you have all the answers. If you don't have all the answers, go get them and, um, you know, get in touch with the right people to help you help you get there. And so, yeah, that'd be, a, that'd be uh, something I wish I'd have known early on, but I, I've, I got there eventually. Yeah, I think, you know, it comes with maturity and with experience. Um, and, and, and I totally agree with you. You know, personally, I think that perseverance and the constant trials and errors are what makes you what helps you you know become a better leader in a sense uh and with that comes confidence as well and yeah um what would you you know pag as your uh, biggest failure and what did you learn from it well without being too specific um i think the the thing that i that i the, the mistake i made and this was fairly early on uh, when I was in inform information security was underestimating the importance of compliance versus security. Um, you know, when you're a security professional, when you, when you understand uh, how complicated some of the attacks are today and how complicated our IT systems are and our networks, uh, you sometimes can sort of laugh about some of the compliance um, items that you see, you know, because they're sometimes written by people that don't really understand what's really going on. And so you just kind of think, 
okay, I'll I'll get to compliance, but my my job is to to secure this organization, so that's going to be my top priority. And um, so it 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 took a couple of events um, dealing with some regulators and uh, to to realize and understand that hey, compliance actually is very important, and um, you actually won't really get much credit uh, in an organization that's high, highly regulated if you're not compliant. Doesn't matter how secure you are. If you're, um, if if you have one tick mark against you on the compliance side, then you're, you're, it's it's pretty much um, you failed. So, so yeah, it's um, it's important, uh, especially if you're in an industry that where there's a lot of regulation. You know, banking is one. Healthcare. Um, you know, uh, several other industries have a, a pretty regulated. They're in a very regulated environment. So. Compliance is very important and you can't ignore it, even though sometimes you might want to go, you know, following that compliance rule is not going to help <laughs> security. Uh, but nonetheless, you still have to, you, you still have to pay attention to that. So, yeah. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that I actually um, put together a piece about a year ago called, called uh, compliance is BS, where I basically, you know, uh, I, I, I shared my experience with, you know, talking to founders and high level individuals in, in across all kinds of industries, mostly in the startup uh, industry, the startup space, you know, basically telling me that com compliance is BS, you know, and giving as a compliance professional, you know, giving the, my rebuttal to that. Uh, and I do, uh, you know, agree with you on that, that, um, you know, you don't have to like compliance, but it is a business enabler. It is a driver and without, and you know, the intent of compliance is, is to put you in a good place. But I think, um, you know, maybe the execution in, in some cases just doesn't do justice. But, um, but yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on that. And especially now, you know, with the, all the privacy regulations and legislations that are co that mm -hmm. come into play, because compliance actually, all of a sudden is becoming much more accessible and mandatory to even smaller organizations. So, well, and also you're, you're seeing a lot of um, activity at the federal level, um, today i mean just just even currently um with cmmc ransomware, yeah ransomware and other attacks that, that have gotten the attention of of our our federal government uh, realizing hey this is a big problem and so it's good that they're paying attention to it and they're that they're taking some action but that's going to up the game in terms of compliance and that's that's not a bad thing so um if anything, I, throughout that process and through that throughout that experience, I learned that compliance actually uh, is a very very necessary and and a good thing, uh, especially in in my environment. Uh, you know, our our compliance rules are pretty specific, and uh, you know if you follow them all, you're actually you're 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 ahead of the game. So. Um, so I've, I've really come, not only come to realize that compliance is important, I'm, I've pretty much embraced it too. It's, so it's a, it's a very uh, essential part of what I do. Yeah, same here. And I can probably talk with you compliance all day, although it's not that interesting. So, but mm -hmm. we'll have to cut this short. So let's, uh, you know, I'll move on to my next question. Um, talking about, you know, your perceived failure, what, what would you say your biggest accomplishment was? For me, it's just becoming the CISO. I mean, I've, I've kind of alluded to this earlier that I never saw myself in this position early in my career. Um, but, you know, things happened. I, I kept progressing and, and uh, you know, lo and, lo and behold, I'm, I'm responsible for some pretty large, large organizations and their security posture. So, um, you know, this, this role is not easy. Um, there's a lot of expectations placed on you, a lot of responsibility, lots of accountability. Um, so you're you're really in charge of of making sure that your organization is uh, as well protected um, as it can be. And 
on top of that, there's really no, there's no 100% way of being 100% secure. Um, it's like, you know, there's, there's no, there's no such thing as, as 100% risk mitigation. Uh, you're always going to have some risk. And, and so that's the same with information security, but you certainly, um, you don't want to be in that, that bottom tier where, where you're, uh, where your doors are wide open or you're, you're not protected from uh, some of the easiest exploits out there. So uh, yeah, just getting to this role is uh, um, my biggest accomplishment. Mm -hmm. Okay, fair enough. And you know, apart from those couple of uh, pieces of advice that you've already uh, given out, like, uh, you know, don't be, you don't have to be the smartest person, understanding the, the importance of compliance, what other advice would you give to someone that wants to pursue a career similar to yours? Hopefully someday, someday becoming a CISO. Yeah, I, I've always told my kids, no matter what field you're gonna go into, um, if you will show up on time, work hard, do what you're told, uh, you're gonna advance. Uh, it just seems like in, in today's society, for whatever reason, um, we have a lot of people that just don't have those sort of values. And um, so, I mean, just, just those simple things will, will help you move along. Um, obviously in a technical field like this, you do need to have some, um, some ability to process a lot of technical information, uh, understanding what, what IT architectures, um, how they're put together, um, you know, how, how these modern IT systems work and how they interact with each other. Um, you need to be able to understand that. And that that's almost akin to uh, understanding how the human body works. Um, I heard someone say once that if you're an IT professional, uh, by the time you're 20 years in, you know more information about IT and about information systems than a doctor knows about the human body. Um, because there's there's just a lot of things to know about it. So, um, and that some of that, you know, you can study in school and you can you know take the certif certification exams, but until you've actually done it and lived it, uh, just takes a while to get there. Uh, so, yeah, continue keep learning. Um, you know, get get the certifications and all of that, but uh, continue to practice and. Um, and, and stay current, you know, these things are changing almost daily. The threat, the threat landscape changes quite a bit. So I spend a good portion of every day just watching the news, watching my threat intelligence feeds and uh, making sure I'm, I'm up to date with, with what my adversaries are doing out there. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just staying persistent and, um, you know, you, you do need to have a, uh, a desire to solve problems. Um, I think most IT people are like that. They want they want things <laughs> to run better, and they want to they want to solve a business problem. And so, in security, you're solving a security problem. So, yeah, all of those things put together, uh, it's a great field to be in right now. Uh, I don't see it uh, diminishing much uh, in the near future. So, uh, yeah, if you're looking at uh, this career path, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. This uh, this space is isn't going anywhere, and it's not diminishing. It's just getting bigger and bigger. Um, you know, it's and and it's an ecosystem, right? You have so many uh, like new startups, so many IPOs right now. Uh, you know, it, it it brings the market up upward, and you know, those companies need cybersecurity, whatever, whatever, cloud based or on prem. But uh, yeah. Um, so a quick question about the, um, the role of the CISO in an organization. In your opinion, and this is a very specific question, um, in your opinion, what are your thoughts about having the CISO being a part of the IT organization? Well, this is a topic that's been debated uh, for years. Um, when I was at the university at Texas Tech, uh, I reported to the CIO, but my CIO there was highly, highly engaged in security. It was one of his his top concerns. Um, 
was making sure that that we had a secure uh, network and that uh, data was protected and you know all the things he he genuinely cared he's always he was almost like a CISO himself um, but you don't always have that you know you know some organizations there's a lot of pressure on the CIO or the CTO to uh, keep things operational and running and available 24 7 and um, meeting the needs of the end users so security can kind of take a back seat in some of those situations. And that's why uh, most people argue, well, that the CISO should not uh, report to the CIO because at some point the CIO is going to say, well, uh, I'm going to decide between security and um, user functionality or making making the business happy. Um, <clears throat> and so they feel like there's kind of a conflict of interest there. Um, for me, I don't think you can really separate IT and, and information security. Um, you can try, but at the end of the day, those IT folks, your network engineers, um, the, the people configuring servers, the, the people um, that are setting policies or, or enforcing policies through technical controls, you know, they're turning the knobs and flipping the switches um, so they really have, they've got direct hands-on influence in how you implement security. So um, it's hard for the, for a CISO sitting outside the organization to, to impose his or her will on the IT organization. Um, so what the, the approach I've taken, you know, in, in my organization, I don't report to the, to the CTO um, we, we sort of sit separately. However, we are very much on board with each other. Um, we work collaborative, collaboratively together, uh, and we both are very concerned about security. So it's a good partnership that works really well uh, for our organization. Um, he and several of his staff are part of my security committee. Um, we examine threats and we look at policies we look at the controls that we have we rate the strength of those controls um, we monitor uh, our system logs together um, now ultimately i have a responsibility for you know the effectiveness of the overall program but if i try to just dictate to it this is what y'all are going to do this is how you're going to configure or harden servers or or how you're going to deploy in, uh, endpoints across the network, or you know that just wouldn't work very well. Um, so you really need a collaborative kind of partnership approach, and um, uh, that's worked very well. Um, not saying that that's what you have to do in every organization. You know, if, if being the dictator works, I don't see how it could ultimately. But you know, um, I prefer to have them on board with me. So. Um, I want their buy-in, I want their input, because sometimes they know more about how the network's configured, or they know more about um, how Windows systems operate. Um, you know, they know, they sometimes might know more about Active Directory and all of these things. So they definitely need to be um, uh, part of that process, even though I will have the ultimate decision to be, um, to make. In most cases, um, I think they feel like they're they're a big part of that, and that's the way I want it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's very aligned with you know uh, most answers that I'm I'm getting for this question. Maybe apart from you know a few few um, individual occasions. Um, and, and, you know, moving on to my next question, I know you've mentioned a bit about uh, your daily routine, you know, as part of it being um, getting your feeds, watching the news, understanding what's going on in the world right now. Um, are there any other, like, you know, resources that you might um, refer to as best that, that are actually helping you along the way? And, and how do these fit into your daily routine? Well, you mentioned the ones I think are the most important, the information uh, sharing organizations. Um, there's 
there's a number of ISAC organizations out there that are that are sector specific. So if you're not a part of one, you should um, you should find one that that closely aligns with your your particular sector. Get involved in that. Um, you know, there are great organizations. They um, and they they help bring people together, and so um, you can bounce ideas off of each other. You can establish some some networking contacts, um, but then they they also do a good job of of um, feeding you the latest threat intel, um, specific indicators of compromise, um, some of that's very technical in nature, but some of it's just you know news stories about hey so and so just got breached or uh, a a new zero day was discovered, uh, you know things like that are. You know, very important to keep up with. Um, I think also being a part of some other professional organizations is good. Um, you know, I'm involved in my in uh, ISC squared. Uh, I actually help uh, write the the questions for the CISSP exam, so I'm I'm involved in that. Uh, there's other uh, professional organizations that you can um, be involved in. Um, there's in the state of Texas. There's a group. Uh, of um, bank CISOs that get together uh, two or three times a year. You know, we we talk about what what we're seeing, <clears throat> you know, in our individual banks and how we're uh, interacting with our regulators and you know some of the issues that that we're facing and and um, you know those are great groups to be involved in. Kind of kind of gives you a sense of what other people are are facing on a day to day basis. So. Yeah, all those are great tools. I'm not sure that that's exactly what you're asking for. No, that's um, great. It's an open-ended question, and and these yeah. are great great resources that you mentioned. You know, organ professional organizations, and I think you mentioned ISC squared, um, but there are others, obviously, like ISACA. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are just so yeah. many right now, right? So, and IAP, if you're, you know, if you want uh, to learn more about privacy, and yeah, yeah, so many. Okay, uh, and definitely the power of network. You mentioned the group of uh, CISOs that are, you know, specifically in your in your case, these are like Texas-based, but uh, yeah, always uh, powerful to be a part of a network. Um, is there one common myth about uh, this profession or our space that you wanted to debunk? Yes, <laughs> that that is that. Everything doesn't fall on your CISO or your InfoSec organization to keep the company secure. Um, it, it's got to involve not only information security, but it's got to involve IT. It's got to involve the executive leadership and your ordinary, you know, just all of your employees. You know, your, your employees, a lot of times, unfortunately, are the last line of defense against some of these threats you know they can make a mistake by you know clicking the wrong email or sending the um sending a, a sensitive file outside the network uh you know taking taking a laptop home or you know taking a printed report home there's a lot, a lot of different ways that employees can either purposely or accidentally uh, cause a data breach so um, they have to be educated and they have to be kind of aware that hey, you've got you've got skin in this game as well. So um, I think in a lot of organizations, it's it's kind of, oh, uh, information security has that. that. That's a or that's an IT thing, you know, that somebody else's responsibility. Um, now, everybody in the organization has got some some level of responsibility to keep uh, to keep the data secure and uh, keep the organization secure. Yeah, and you know, if uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, um, you know, there are a lot of uh, security frameworks out there. Uh, so one of them is like the ISO 27001. This one actually talks about security. You know, you need to have leadership, sponsorship, and support. And the intent there is obviously to have, you know, the entire i mean organization involved in at some capacity just to make sure that you know that you're actually maintaining a security program it's called isms specifically with the iso but um yeah the the, the intent is very clear about that um 
in your opinion, and again, we can keep this very general, uh, what are the main concerns that CISOs nowadays have? So ransomware is definitely top of mind in, in everyone that I talk to and, um, you know, and that, that's kind of brought a lot of people together in, in helping them um, identify some of the things that we've always kind of uh, preached and, and tried to accomplish in information security is, you know, uh, protecting against malware because ransomware is ultimately just malware. Um, but because of ransomware has, has um, gotten so prevalent, it's, it's really, in a way, it's helping organizations be a little bit more focused on how they protect themselves and aware that they do need to protect themselves. And so, you know, our answer to ransomware is very similar to what we've always been um, trying to accomplish, which is, you know, uh, address your vulnerabilities, uh, keep your systems patched and up to date. Uh, use multi-factor. Um, anytime you're you're coming in from outside your network, um, you know the, these basic hygiene protections. Use antivirus, and now that uh, you want to add an EDR solution on top of that, uh, collect your logs and analyze them for an anomalous behavior. You know all those things are are um, are things we've always um, been trying to accomplish in our industry. And of course, yeah. now you've got to have good backups. So, so yeah, addressing ransomware is, is kind of top of mind, but it also is by doing that, you're, you're kind of enhancing your overall program anyway. So, um, I guess the other, some of the other things are, you know, kind of the shift to cloud. A lot of, a lot of organizations are moving their infrastructures up into the cloud. Um, so that places a lot more reliance on third parties. Um, you need to know, are your third parties up to the, up to the task? Uh, are they going to protect your data as well as, as you would? Um, so there's, there's a lot to consider there. There's a lot of advances in cloud technology, um, you know, uh, advances in the virtualization of the whole infrastructure that, that have impl implications on security. Um, you know, you've got, not only you've got um, virtual machines, but now you've got containers with uh, virtual machines and, and um, you know, these cloud infrastructures that are uh, a lot more complex than they used to be. So securing that environment is um, not as straightforward as it used to be. You know, where do you put your firewall now? Uh, or where do you put your firewalls? Um, you know, do you want to add a, a CASB to the, to the mix. I mean, there's just a lot to think about. And then, and then I guess the final one is, you know, kind of the change in remote workforce, people working from home, you know, there's kind of an expect expectation now that, Hey, I, I need to support my workforce working not only from their house or on the road, uh, you know, those present some challenges as, as well. So, so those are the, the main areas I'd be focused in on uh, if I was a CISO. And I am. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And um, so, and, and so, you would say those are the the areas in your in your opinion that CISOs nowadays nowadays tend to focus on, right? Right? Ransomware, addressing ransomware, shift to cloud. Uh, those are the main things that are you feel most CISOs should be most focused on right now. Right. Yeah. Not to say that there aren't other things out there. It just depends on your sector. Um, yeah. But, but that's that's what I uh, hear from most of my peers. Okay, fair enough. Uh, what in your in your opinion, what are the most important skills that CISOs nowadays should have? Well, I kind of mentioned this the you know the knowledge of of how modern IT systems work. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's hard for. It's not impossible, but you can come up and eventually become a, a CISO by coming up through uh, maybe the audit career track. Um, but I think you're better off coming up through IT because um, your your auditors are typically not going to have, and I'm not trying to disparage auditors at all, um, but having worked directly in IT and um, understanding how they're architected and how 
they interface with each other, how APIs work, um, how crypto uh, cryptography actually works. You know, th those are things that are taught um, in the IT profession. And so understanding how that works is really key to being able to secure it. If you don't really understand the data flow, who all is involved in it, where it's going, is it when is it crossing your your um, boundary and when is it going into someone else's domain and what are they doing to protect that um, yeah those are those are things you better have a good uh, a good hold on uh, otherwise you can't really protect it very well mm -hmm. uh, okay and i think just taking a risk based risk based approach um, i mentioned before you're not you're never going to be 100% secure um, but you can get close and you can do all the things that that are expected. You know, we might call them best practices. Um, there's certainly some regulatory guidance that can be very specific. So you definitely want to meet all of that. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to make decisions based on risk. Um, what, is, what is the risk to the organization if we take on this project? For instance, if we start allowing all of our employees to work from home if they want to. Well, what is the, what are the risks of that? You have to approach that whole question, even though it's a something that the business wants or needs, you have to understand what is what are the risks that we're taking on uh, by having a policy like that. Um, and once you identify risks, you, you've got to take reasonable steps to to mitigate that risk. Uh, so that that's a very important uh, skill. Sometimes you can, if you see all of the threats that are out there, you can kind of be seen as someone running around saying the sky is falling, you know, and nobody in the executive uh, area wants to hear something like that. So you've got to identify where to focus your priorities and, and, um, and make good decisions in that regard. Yeah. And my my next question is about the role of the CISO and where is it going? And, you know, just to provide a bit of context here. So if you look at CISOs nowadays, the skill set that you find common are very different than the skills that you used to find common like 10 or 15 years into the past. And, you know, as a veteran in this industry, you probably noticed the change as well. In your opinion, where is the Caesar role going? Well, hopefully it's going further or or higher up in the executive um, boardroom. Um, but I think we're we're not there yet. I think that it's still largely seen the CISO is largely seen as kind of an IT type role. So to the extent that a an executive board of any organization you know recognizes that it plays a big part in us uh, meeting our business objectives you know they need to see that well information security is is now just important um if you look at the the risk involved in um you know a data breach just the pure pure cost of it um if a if a data breach were to hit an organization um, you need to know what what is the impact and uh, how bad will that uh, affect our bottom line, um, not only through the event, but it could be you know reputational damage. Um, so a lot of things to think about on information security. So um, I think as as information security and the importance of being protected against data breaches becomes more paramount to organizations. I think you'll see the CISO uh, get a more prominent seat at that executive board level. Um, mm -hmm. I have heard even from uh, some organizations that uh, some some talk about there being a regulatory requirement that somebody on a board of directors be um, at least aware of cybersecurity and can um, uh, you know and. and espouse uh, and, and lead in that area. So um, remains to be seen. I think with, with the federal government getting more and more involved, that's gonna turn into more compliance, which will then uh, turn into more uh, emphasis being placed on inf information security. So um, 
yeah, that's, that's kind of where I see it. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I would argue that even nowadays um, in some of the organizations, you already see the shift of, you mm -hmm. know, a CISO being more business oriented position than, uh, than, than more technical position. And I think you've, you could, you could see that shift for the past 10 years already, or, you know, five to 10 years, I would say in most organizations. Um, okay, great. Um, so this is a, another one of those open-ended questions here. Uh, in your opinion, what, what would we see in, in the cybersecurity space next? Like what are the main, you know, changes, innovation in your opinion? Well, the, the adversaries is definitely getting more sophisticated. Um, I'll say a portion of them. It's it's kind of a strange ecosystem right now. There's there are not as many true what we might call hackers as there there used to be. Um, and I, I'm talking about the ones that really uh, understand how to um, find exploits and 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 you know utilize those in an attack what you're seeing most of the time today is a commoditization of that of those exploits so uh, you don't really have to be a you know a quote hacker in order to um, attack someone with, with with ransomware or spam or, or what have you um, everything's become so commoditized you can you know these are almost SaaS based services that you can just pay a fee and, and, um, and, and get the money in, in return. It's almost that simple. Um, so as the, as the complexity of those attacks, uh, keep advancing, uh, you're going to see that complexity move over into the commoditization of it as well. So just means we have to keep up, you know, the controls have to, to stay up with the, um, with the sophistication of the attacks. I've heard some, some talk about, you know, killware being, you know, something that will, will become more prevalent, um, where you, you perpetrate a, um, a cyber attack in order to actually kill someone, you know, like if they were in a hospital or giving them the wrong drugs or, you know, some, some, uh, attack like that, um, can't see that ever getting to the stage or to the point where ransomware is right now, but uh, certainly that is a concern, especially if you're in the medical uh, industry. Um, well, I think there are a lot of. I would argue not only the medical industry. I mean, look at aviation, look at the cars. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but definitely, I mean, the medical, the health space is definitely, you know, the, mm -hmm. it's maybe, I would, I, I don't know if it's the easiest sector or not but it's definitely you know one of the targets but um yeah well when you start killing people um <laughs> you're going to gain you're going to get a lot more attention from law enforcement and there will there will be a lot more emphasis on um uh you getting caught and uh and brought to justice um you know some of these ransomware you know they're they're costing a lot of money but they're really not um there's not a whole lot being done until you start messing with uh, public infrastructure or, you know, uh, affecting people's lives. Um, I, I think that changes the game. And, and uh, so therefore, I think if that does start to get prevalent, you will see a lot more emphasis on catching those people. Because right now with ransomware, you have almost 0% chance of getting caught. Uh, there's yeah. various reasons for that. but. Um, but as far as you know, just looking at the future, I think there's a lot of questions around quantum computing and what is that going to mean for uh, for our cryptography? You know, we we put a lot of trust in these uh, cryptogra cryptographic routines, and um, and if a quantum computer can break that uh, relatively easy, uh, you know, we've got to come up then with quantum encryption and. So there's a lot that remains to be seen in, in terms of how we're going to deal with that. Um, uh, I think we're some years away from that, uh, but that's certainly being looked at right now. Yeah. Um, 
shifting gears here because we're almost uh you know at the tail end of uh, this episode uh i wanted to ask you a couple of quick questions about vendors and vendor relationships uh if you you know put yourself in the shoes of a vendor just for a moment what is it that you what's the promise to yourself that you you know you would never do me or you you yeah. specifically you yeah well, I don't see this from my, many of my vendors, but I would definitely uh, not inundate um, people like me with emails and phone calls. And, you know, I, I get at least 100 emails a day from security vendors, you know, wanting me to look at their product or wanting me to tell them about what i'm doing or and and i'm just i don't have time for that um now i occasionally will see something that if they're in a space where i do have a need or i've got an active project i might reach out to them or um but for the most part you know i, I get fairly annoyed by you know these vendor contacts just you know contacting me on linkedin or you know calling me on the phone um you know, sending emails and then replying to that email and replying to that email, replying, I mean, just like, okay, you're not getting it. I'm not interested just because I didn't answer you. Uh, so yeah, I would, I would, uh, I would not engage in that sort of activity. Um, mm -hmm. But if you, if, if you did engage with me, then um, I'd want to have very technical people that can answer highly technical questions about my product. Um, I don't need the, the, the flashy salesperson that can just, you know, tell me how much I'm going to love the product. Um, I, I need to know the details of how it works and uh, assess whether that's going to be the best fit for me. Yeah, and I believe you answered my, my next question, which was, you know, what is it that you are looking for in a vendor? So you're looking to, if I, paraf to paraphrase, you're looking for uh, professionals to speak with looking for real answers uh, and, you know, for a real discussion about the, the issues that you might be dealing with. Is that a correct assumption? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Are there any, uh, any uh, individuals in the industry or out of the industry that you, you consider as influential to you? It could be CISOs yeah, that you look up to. It could be, you know, anyone at all. Yeah, I'm not going to name any names. I think everybody, um, everybody at, at some point in their career has had somebody who, who uh, gave them a chance, um, you know, gave them a promotion, gave, gave them, them a, assigned them a task, assigned them a project that was going to be very challenging. And, um, and they, they showed faith in, in that. And so I've, I've had that uh, a number of times in my career. And I'm, very appreciative of those um, those people who were, um, let's say they took a chance, but they definitely put me out there uh, with the opportunity to fail or or succeed. And and um, you know, for the most part, it's been uh, a on the succeed side of that. Um, but yeah, I think everybody uh, has some of those people in their life, and um, and so I try to do that. I try to do that to the people who are. Uh, who report to me, um, show them the kind of confidence that others showed in me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and knowing, as a vendor, knowing uh, that you don't like to be bombarded, um, is there any way vendors and listeners can connect to you in a non-intrusive manner? Uh, you know, if you, if you get me at a conference, um, especially if it's a um, in-person, it hasn't worked as well on these virtual conferences, but um, yeah, I'm, I, I've got time to, to discuss and talk about things. And that's one of the reasons I would go to a, like an RSA or uh, some other um, professional conference, uh, you know, Black Hat, something like that. Um, you know, I've, I've set aside the time to to go and learn and to see what other vendors are doing. So that's probably the best time to engage with me. Um, day to day is not gonna work too well because I'm just too focused on, on um, 
uh, on my own projects. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to when we can do a lot more in-person events. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I believe they already started, you know, like trickles, but uh, I'm not sure. I think I think Texas is probably back to normal right now, right? Uh, not not totally. Not totally. Okay. Yeah. I mean, look, as I mentioned, I, I spent a couple of days there a few weeks ago. It's it's to me, it seemed like very bizarre. I mean, everything yeah, was like does very different. Yeah, very different than California. Like, but anyway. Um, Okay, uh, for final uh, bonus question, if money was never an issue, what would you do with your life? Well, you know, I'd, I'd take care of myself and my family. Um, but then, you know, I think uh, I'd find some charitable organizations or create one or two that can um, make some sort of difference. Um, we live in a very um, political world today uh, lots of political opinions flying around out there and uh, a lot of strife and um, disagreement um, and, I, and i think that's sad is there's a uh, there's a lot of a lot of good ideas on on both sides of every issue and um, you know it's it just it hurts us as a group as a, as a country uh, if, if we just hate each other if if we if we just disagree on something and uh, so I'd look for ways to to try to um, to influence that and try to get us back a little bit more to some um, you know some commonality, some uh, some ways to work together. Um, don't always have to agree, uh, but uh, you know you don't have to hate each other uh, if you disagree. Yeah, but you and this is my final follow up question. Do you actually think that politics? Uh, are different right now or is it just that uh, the presence of social media that's actually you know you know provides you with a like foundation to spew whatever it is that you want to spew i do think it's different i, I think that and social media has played a part in that but only because um it's been a vehicle to you know get get more people engaged um you know in political discussions but but the problem is there's so much, um, know, for lack of lack of better term, ignorance. Um, it's hard to know what's true and what what is um, you know political rhetoric, uh, and people get very tribal with it for whatever reason. They they think, oh, okay, well I'm this is where I stand, and if if um, if, if you're not right here with me, then then you know, you're the you're the enemy. And um, it's we, we shouldn't be that way. Um, we should all be trying to to do what's best for uh, the country and, and for our world. Um, and um, yeah, you know, I think we could we could get there with a, uh, a little little higher quality leadership on uh, on both sides. Mm -hmm. Okay. And with th these final notes, uh, we can wrap up the episode. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today, Daryl. Uh, it was a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks.